Welcome back to the Brace Yourselves podcast. This is a combi episode, the first of its kind, mainly because we were idiots and forgot it was a double game week, made no predictions for the second game week. So now you've got episode 13 and I guess 13.5. We call ourselves football fans. I know, I know. Ian messaged me. He said, by the way, I think it's a double game week, like two days later. And I was like, oh God, and we haven't made predictions. We thought about doing a pre-recording for the the other predictions, but yeah. uh, it never came to pass. And we'll sort of explain what went wrong there. But as a, as a sort of hint and spoiler, Ian is a very happy man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not the way you want to get a victory, but I'll take it off. I'll say no more there. But... Well, let's see. There's still another game week up for grabs, which yeah, is the one we actually it. did make predictions for. And there's a lot of games to discuss. And usually anyone who listens to this will know we go from a, like a play-by-play of the games. And we've been looking at maybe changing that slightly anyway, because we want to reduce the overall length of the podcast for you and for us. So effectively, we're now going to the match of the day format, which is the key highlight games rather than the play-by-play, especially since essentially 20 games of football have happened in the, in like the space yeah. of six days. We can't speak them all. Yeah, we're not trying to make Lawrence of Arabia here. Right? So, yeah, I know. There's no, uh, yeah, no extended version of Lord of the Rings. It's just <laughs> you know, 90 that's, minutes bite-sized feature. Better, that's probably a better cultural reference than my fucking one. <laughs> Modern uh, reference, rather, yeah. Definitely still a good pop culture reference. Crazy couple of, well, couple of game weeks. As I said, couple (laughs) of games, couple of game weeks. And and like, we're, what, three days out from another full weekend of Premier League football? And you still, we've criticised Klopp and stuff and Oli for criticising the schedule. I can see their point when it comes to this sort of thing. You know, you've got, Teams playing on Friday, then playing on Tuesday, and then playing on Saturday. I, I was sort of I was talking to my mum actually because she we're going through the, the game weeks and stuff, talking about the football. United played Thursday night at eight pm. They're playing Saturday against Leeds, but Chelsea played Tuesday night and they're playing Monday night. Why? Surely they should be the first game kicking off. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one because obviously it comes down to you know who's paying to watch you know paying to show it and all that kind of stuff and the big games and that's why you're the big names etc like that's why you get the decent kickoff times like no one's really tuning in for the monday night chelsea game which is a weird reflection on chelsea but i know we'll get on to chelsea but again obviously united leeds is a derby they want it in a premium slot i understand but i understand i'd start to get what klopp is saying and ollie is saying you know it shouldn't be dictated by viewership it should be dictated by fairness. If you play on Thursday night, you shouldn't be playing on Sunday. That's not fair. But, but I think the issue that the, that is at discussion is the fact that the people who own those clubs need to own up to that fact and listen to the managers. There's nothing the managers can do. They can bang on about it, but it's the people who run the club need to go, oh, maybe I don't want to take that TV signing and I'll take a back seat and my club can win. Yeah, that, that is true. And, you know, Liverpool, again, Liverpool have been a club that have historically said it in recent times at least that they they want to be successful they want to be prolific they want to put money in in the channel four model and put money back into the club however if they want their team to win as des kelly said to jürgen klopp a couple of weeks ago liverpool approved that liverpool approved yeah. that slot for a game so you must play and the same that well don't even get me started on united you know what <laughs> that, that they all they care about is money they're like what playing it play one day and then play the day after how much yeah yeah go ahead go ahead fuck the players yeah what they can't run ah you don't need yeah to no don't worry what you've got 17 injuries and you can't feel it yeah play play 1.5 million yes i know more 
anyway, we digress. That was just a little thing that I saw when I was like, well, look at this game congestion. Yeah, and is. I think there is a big argument for we need a winter break. There needs to be a winter break in the Premier League. I think that is a better solution than the five sub rule because I think we've discussed the five sub rule is the fact that it's about squad depth and yeah Liverpool are asking for it because it doesn't matter who they sub on mm. because they're premium players the same with Man City the same with Man United the same with Spurs they can do that but you get down to teams like Wolves Sheffield they haven't got that quality like there's quality on the bench don't get me wrong but it's not oh like instant bring them on you know yeah, Ronaldo, Ronaldo. they don't have the quality of depth that other teams yeah. have. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it, 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 it's not tricky. It's clear cut, but ultimately, people only corporations only give a flying fuck about money. So I here know, we if are. Was, if there was any year to skip the Christmas games, it would have been this year, I think. I mean, don't get me wrong. There is something festive, I guess, about watching a game on Boxing Day, I know like, I've got Christmas Day and then the next day the Premier League is back. But I often occasionally think in my little working class life bubble of a world think, hang on, the players' families must have a terrible Boxing Day. I think that every year, especially, right? Because it's such a flip of a coin. One year, you might have an incredible Boxing Day. The team, yeah. the, your team, uh, your dad's team wins. He goes, he comes home, he's all happy and jovial. Yes, we won on Boxing Day. But what happens if they get smashed? What happens if they lose? You know, it, it, it could ruin the entire atmosphere for a game. And you know these players are competitive, so of course they're going to be heated and frustrated. Yeah, plus, imagine up. the nerves on Christmas Day. Imagine you've got like a big game coming up and you spend all of Christmas just sat at like the dining table drumming your fingers. It's not enjoyable for families, I assume. So the entirety of Sheffield United is what you mean. Anytime they go for a game day, so on Christmas Day, they're basically hammering the tables in anxiety. We're going to sort of compress here two weeks worth of talking points and talk about some vital games. So obviously on this podcast, we will always talk about the Manchester United games and we will always talk about the Spurs games. So we'll start with those two games in the first game week and then we'll go elsewhere. I don't have a lot to say about the Manchester derby other than the fact that it was incredibly boring doing for me. It was incredibly boring doing for you and for you, the listeners, if you watched it as well, because it was drab. I put drab derby. That is what it was. Um, Both teams were scared to lose, in my opinion. Neither team wanted to lose. Neither team wanted to overcommit. So the simple solution there was to tactically set up where no one was in danger City created slightly more than United, but I don't think City looked particularly good. And that, obviously, as we know now, in hindsight, that was compounded by their performance against West Brom as well. I think there's a problem at City. I don't really know what it is. And frankly, I don't really care. Enjoy it. I'm enjoying it. You know, it's secondary, Schadenfreude. I love it. I, I mean, it is, it is a great thing that in the seasons where our teams are doing pretty good, you know, Man United picks up this in the latter half. Our rivals are doing absolutely abysmally. Oh, late. man, you must be loving oh. <laughs> I wish the team were 15. I wish they oh, were. It's insane. It's just crazy. But, yeah, I totally agree. Saw the Man City, Man United score, 0-0. Even, I think, the highlights were boring. There are no highlights. Where are the highlights? But even, like, the YouTube title for his boring derby. And I was like, well, I'm not going to watch that, am I? But still, obviously, gave it a click, and I was like, they were right. That was boredom. It was it was pure boredom. I would rather watch paint dry, was was the scenario. And, and I was yeah. sitting there on the sofa, and I was just like, oh, my, I'm so bored. And I could tell. I could feel it. I was like, no one's scoring in this game. You could, you know when a game just like, no one wants to lose. They neutralize each other. It, it felt like that the entire time. 
What I will say is that, again, my only criticism, and the only real talking point about this game is from the media's perspective and the fans' perspective and the toxic side of the fans from each club, whatever. United's fans are criticising Oli for having a boring derby. Listen, if that had been 3-3 and you got a point against City, you'd have been applauding him. Just because there's no goals doesn't mean it's not the same result. At the end of the day, a point in a Manchester derby is not a bad result, no matter how you want to try and spin doctor it, whatever it may be. But still, there's this real toxicity and I think a fundamental problem with the fickle nature of fans in football nowadays because one result like that, a couple of weeks ago, I would I would speak to the most staunch Arteta fans who would say, Arteta in, Arteta in. They've all flip-flopped. They're all gone. They want him gone. They want him out. Arsenal have rung the bell. That's it. Arteta out, Arteta out. The same goes for United as well. And a lot of clubs are starting to go that way. As, as soon as it's, it's just like one bad result. I don't understand that mentality because I'm sitting here uh, as a fan of someone who's crashed out of the Champions League, has had a arguably an abysmal start to the season. We lost to Crystal Palace day one and it all felt doom and gloom. If United win their game in hand, we're second. Can I be too critical? I can't. It's hard to like, I don't know, quantify or judge because it is on a game by game basis and that's how we view it. And then you look at the bigger picture after the moment because all your emotions are in that game. You're like, this is bad, this, and then you get out and you're like, oh wait, if I do, if we do this, blah, 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 and we're up the table. You know, just look, look at Schalke in the Bundesliga, fired the head coach after 79 days. There's no way you've made a judgment on that man. I mean, like, the difference is that man was getting slapped up every week. The score yeah. were bad. <laughs> they were very it bad. bad. It was very bad, but it's still like, but isn't that kind of the same at Arsenal? Like, there is nothing there. Like, how is Arteta holding on? I think the the frustration must be with Arsenal is that the creativity is so non-existent. Mm. They're not creating anything. And we'll we'll, we'll get on to them later. Because there is a lot to talk about with Arsenal. It's very, very problematic there. I just think it's a 38-game season is the mentality you have to have. And I'm trying to reduce that in my own mentality as a football fan. Because I'm like, well, listen, Oli pulled it out of the bag towards the end of last season. He may do it again this season. Obviously, we're all devastated we've crashed out of the Champions League, but maybe that will allow us to focus on the league because some United fans, we've got a huge like uh, polarising division. We've got some United say, fans saying, we're in the title race now. We're not. I'm sorry. I don't care if we're second until the last day of the season. We're not in the title race. Yeah. United don't have the mentality for it. Or the defence, and someone summed it up perfectly last night. I can't remember who tweeted it, but they tweeted, Manchester United have a title-winning attack with a relegation defence. And it is, that is the truth. That, is, that couldn't be more true. We are, we are such a Marmite team. We're such a flip-flop team. And other United fans are still like, Oli out, I don't care. I don't, some fans are like, I don't even care if he wins us the Premier League. Uh, sorry, then you can stop being a United fan. Disappear. Of course you get. Titles are, are, are what it's about. Are what it is about. But anyway, boring, boring, boring. Draw. Yeah. And I'm happy we didn't lose to them. That's my summary on it. Team selection was fine. No real issue. City yeah, look lacklustre. Really uh, the, only, the only thing I'd like to talk about is how the hell they drew to West Brom. Even we beat Brom and we're crap. Yeah, you beat think, West Brom as well. But I think, like you're saying, you know, there is some sort of mentality at Man City. I don't know what it is. There's this coasting nature. There's this, they don't want anything. And I don't think they're trying to get anything. 
particularly. It's not like they want to go out and win. And we were saying this back when they were winning games, but not finishing them off. It was like, no, we've got a couple of goals. We'll just leave it at that. Whereas Man City of old, finish a game, done. And knew it was over, you know, be it 3-0 by halftime, you knew, knew the game was done. And it's gone. That mentality is gone. And I mean, that's why we keep judging them so harshly. Is There's something amiss with their mentality. I don't quite know what it is, and I don't want to put my finger right on it. But it's, it's a weird little world over there at Man City right now. I think they have the same problem which they have with Brighton, which is, a, is an insane comparison, which is yeah. effectively Brighton don't have an out-and-out goal scorer, and I don't think City have an out-and-out goal scorer. They don't have that target, man. They don't have that human son, that Harry Kane, that Mohamed Salah, who consistently bags goals every single week. And Brighton don't have that either. And it seems mental to, to be comparing someone who won the Premiership back-to-back and was so prolific two years ago to a team that fights for relegation each year. Simply, Aguero is declining and they yeah. haven't replaced him. That's the issue. Jesus is not a 30-goal scorer, a season player. He's just not that. He will never be that, in my opinion, because he's too fancy, he's too tricky, he's too flicky. He doesn't do the simple stuff, and it's just to simply, to be a good striker in the Premier League, there's one fundamental trait you must have. You have to be clinical. When your chances are there, you take them. Right? So they should be looking in January to go and get someone like Calvert-Lewin or Kane, not actually by those players, but the model of player that they are. Yeah, sure. if, if, if they want to get back into the title race and Raul Jimenez is healthy and fit, go and buy the man because he gets goals. And Wolves are not that great this season. They probably will sell him. Mm. It's just that if, if, if you get them a goal, a goal scorer, they will rise up the table. Straight back up. I believe that 100%. Other than that, I don't really have much to say about Manchester City. No. I hope they don't do that. I hope they don't heed my advice and I hope they slip into the abyss. And I hope in two seasons' time, we're top of the table and they're 15th. So, sod you, Man City. Another team we have to speak about, Ian, is Aston Villa. Now, I put down here Villa Thriller. Not for last night's game, because that was incredibly boring. Burnley seemed to be slowly resurrecting themselves. I mean, to hit a target, come on, guys, 27 shots. I know. I know. It's just like open season, but they're firing off with a shotgun from 100 yards away. It's just madness. Well, it's like that guy who says, I deserve to win a FIFA game because I've had 15 shots on target. But then you look at the, the shot map and they're all from like 40 yards out. Yeah, you're like, well, hang on. How many did you have from inside the box? Villa are an interesting beast because they draw with Burnley like that. They beat Wolves when they had 10 men with a last-minute penalty. And you're like, well, out of those two games, I know which one I think you're definitely going to win. And I know the one that I definitely think you're not going to win. But I guess they've they've become like a really stubborn side in the Premier League. And even though they've lost maybe like a little bit of momentum that we spoke about earlier in the the season, Ian, they seem to be getting into that rhythm of occasionally grinding out the result that they need to when they, they should do. They're kind of sitting in this pocket of where I think Southampton, West Ham and Villa are kind of sitting where it's a team you don't want to face because you don't know what they're going to do. But like you're saying, they're just consistent and they're grinding it and they're doing what they need to do. I mean, Burnley game a miss for uh, Villa. I think that was a cock up on their part. But everything else they're doing right. They're battling like the Wolves-Villa game. Thrilling. Like like we've said, it's enjoyable from Wolves' perspective, from Aston Villa's, the play. Like it's great football to watch. But we keep seeing that from Southampton. We keep seeing it from West Ham. And I don't know what is the missing piece. 
Maybe it is just quality. Maybe it's just experience, like overall throughout the team. Because each team has a key player, you know, and they know who they're looking for. Look at Grealish, look at uh, Halia, look at Ings. Like, they're key players in those teams, and I think that's what's bringing them up to these kind of levels. You know, Halia's sitting at West Ham going, you want me to score a goal? I'll show you how I score goals. What, stunner after stunner? What's that about? But And we're getting that at Villa as well. Like, they win games, and they win games in style. But there's a missing piece there, and I don't quite know what it is. It's just inconsistency, right? No, no team seems to be able to be consistent in the Premier League at the moment. Not even the, the almighty great Liverpool. And, you know, yes, anyone who listens today who's usually like, oh, come on, let's hear Harley's spin on why Liverpool aren't that good. Liverpool played really well. They deserve to win. That would be my objective little uh, upfront thought on that. We'll yeah. get a little bit more in depth into it later on because obviously Ian is a Spurs fan and it's, it's, it's not been a good uh, two game days for him. But yeah, we will... Well... We, we will hit that in a second because yeah. I think Villa just needs some plaudits for staying so high up the table. They've got two yeah, games in hand. Sure. Where are they at the moment? I think they're seventh, aren't they? I think they're seventh with two games in hand. Or are they sixth? No, they're, they're 11th. 11th. Oh, but they've got two games in hand. Two games in hand. Uh, you know, win one game and they go uh, joint, joint eighth with West Ham. Okay, and then win two and then they're basically fifth, right? Is that... Is that what we're oh, they're, 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 yeah, they'll be fifth, fourth, easy. You know, that's great for them. And they know that they've got those games in hand. And unlike United, who hate playing last or hate playing in a, from a position of power, Villa seem to be a team that thrive off it. Burnley mm. are going to now do enter this... I'm not going to be too critical of that performance because I think Burnley are going to enter this resolute mode of if we can't win games, we will definitely be difficult to beat. And it's yeah. as simple as that with their mentality. And it's why I don't like them because they don't open up, they don't engage, they don't allow you to counterattack because they'd rather take a point than try and go for all three. Yeah. So it's, it's tough football to play against, but I mean, like, it's a it's great. The worst. It's the worst. Yeah. It's like swimming upstream. It's like salmon swimming upstream. It's absolutely ridiculous. But, but, it, but it makes perfect sense because you enter every game with a point already. So why try and lose that point? Like, just keep that point. And if you can get an extra two, great. But if not, keep the point that you came to the game with. Job done. But when they are going to be in a relegation scrap this year, let's not be. They are in the conversation for relegation. You have to try and win more points than just one. Yes, you can look at the the very baseline, which is well, Sheffield United after thirteen game weeks have one point, which is just one. Yeah, not a really, really bad. Fulham are starting to play well. Rom are starting to get some like shocking results or scalps. You've got to you've got to open up and actually try and play. And I think obviously they lack. I don't know. Maybe they just lack creation in midfield. Chris Wood is a good striker in my opinion, but defensively, that's always been. If you think of Burnley, the the, the instant uh, connotation in my mind is defence instantly. They yeah. are hard to break down. And yes, obviously there will be game weeks where that doesn't work, where City pull them apart and smash them five 0 but that's a mentality thing because City have smashed them so consistently. They're so nervous about it happening that it happens. Yeah, it's just, just manifesting it, basically. You know, manifesting their own destiny in that way. Yeah. Anyway, let's speak about... We've spoken about Villa, and Villa are exceeding expectations. Mm. Let's talk about the choke artists, the choking Chelsea, because I'm enjoying it. The Chelsea fans a couple of weeks ago were saying to me, we're going to win the league. We're going to win the league. We're getting some momentum. We're getting... We're getting yeah cohesion we're coming together we're being we're being very clinical in front of goal where's that gone boys where is it Chelsea fans where you at hmm? 
two losses on the bounce to teams you definitely should be beating, and Everton, which are in woeful form. But obviously now in hindsight, we know that form is turning back to good. Mm-hmm. However, what I will say, I watched both the Chelsea games. Secret Chelsea fan here, guys. I watched both Chelsea games. Everyone talks about how they've become so defensively solid. Yeah. Every time Everton broke against Chelsea, Chelsea shat their fucking Yeah, it's felt danger every time. Danger was across the pitch. There was no Chelsea are a team that have this stat. They've not beaten a team in the top ten. They've not wow. beaten a top ten side this season. So we were asking the question, and I've asked it multiple times. Yeah. Will they smash Sheffield United? Of course. Will they smash Burnley? Definitely. Will they smash Newcastle? Yeah. You can't beat a team in the top 10 at the moment. And unless you can do that, you're not going to win the Premier League. It is simple maths. You need to pick up points across the board. Yeah, you can lose games. Yeah, you can draw games. But you have to be able to beat competition inside the top 10. At the moment, you can't do it. Yeah. They, they're too German buys have been awful i'm sorry i'm saying it they've been really bad and chelsea fans are turning on kai havertz like that yeah like that they've turned on him get him off what a waste of money kai havertz if you put a price tag on a player that young they're never going to jump in and i'll use bruno as an exact comparison bruno didn't go for a record fee bruno wasn't an obscene amount of money in fact, a lot of people were naysaying him and saying he was a bad purchase and he wasn't that good. And he adapted because guess what? No pressure. Just the, just the desire to prove himself and go in there and he's done it. Havertz, too much money, too much hype. It's like when someone says, oh man, Avengers Endgame is the best film you've ever seen. And people go see it and they're like, yeah, it's all right. That, you overhype yeah. something, the payoff is never there. This man was like, you were hyping him up like the second coming of Jesus. It's, it's, it's a joke. And Werner, yeah, you got him for a good price, but my God, the man is so wasteful in front of goal. I've never seen someone miss so many shots. I know, he wouldn't be a miss over at Villa. Um, It just, I don't know how many chances you want to give the man. Like, the fact that he, a couple of weeks ago, couldn't put it across the line when it was literally on the line, (laughs) sums up that by, like, it's just like, that's easy stuff. And like we're saying, you... And like we're saying at Man City, there's no consistent striker who's able to do it over at Chelsea because you purchased Werner. And it's like, you can't... What are you doing? You purchased Werner as a striker yeah, and didn't play... And don't play him through the middle. I don't understand, Chelsea. Yeah. It's just... it's. I've spoken to... I mean, like, I'm often in Twitch chats on Twitch. Everyone everyone by now probably knows that I, I, I regularly stream on Twitch and I'm, I'm, I'm a big part of that community and love the platform. I'm in there in you know, football chats, FIFA chats, whatever it may be. I, I've got some conversations going with some Chelsea fans in there. I'm not an enemy to rival football fans. I will have objective conversations and say where I think you can improve, where we definitely need to improve. Yeah. Werner is being paid out of position, and that is a common belief held by a lot of Chelsea fans. Why are you playing the man as a winger when he played for the last five years of his career as a striker at Leipzig? I don't understand. The man needs to be played in his position. We know in the modern game, there are a few players that are versatile enough to be a winger, a striker, a right winger, a cam. You have to have consistency in your game. And the only way you get that is by playing there week in, week out. Now, for me, 
I don't know. Chelsea are young. That's the excuse that's being thrown around everywhere. I'm seeing it everywhere on the newspapers, Twitter headlines, Chelsea fans. We're young. We're young. Get over yourselves. When you had a young team, when we had a young team of Spurs and Man United, we didn't get that. It was like, were you just doing it wrong? Like, what do you, like, when we didn't purchase anyone and we still had a young team and, you know, Poch was like, it's fine. We've got it. And we did so well. Yeah, we still failed at the last hurdle, like normal Spurs mentality. But they backed it and we believed it and we went with it. Like, it's not an excuse. It shouldn't be an excuse. You should be investing in young players and they should be going forwards. It shouldn't be like, oh, yeah, young team, not quite there yet. No. Did England do that? It was like young team. Right, let's go. Young team, good energy. Let's move it forwards. It's, it's frustrating, I think, because the media is so uh, flip-flop on certain mm. managers, certain teams, whatever it may be. Yeah. And certain teams get a lot, a lot more grace in the media than others. With, with the Chelsea issue, I think, yeah, there is some truth to it. Obviously, they are young. They're a young side. They are learning. I would say the, the, the worst part of their game is their game management. They don't know when to go right. Wolves are going to press us, which is what happened. And what we shouldn't do is push forward and try and score, because if we do, Wolves yeah. will hit us in the counter. And that is exactly what happened, and that's why they lost. Thiago Silva, they brought in for that experience, that defensive awareness, that elitism at the back. He should have been saying to that defensive line, don't rush forward, because if you rush forward and pile forward, we're going to get caught here. And that's what happened. And I think, again, Lampard is a young, inexperienced manager. And in the championship, it, you, you play to the death. Yeah. And he started at Derby. You go, you go, you go. And that's why you see so many championships games, like 3-3, 3-2. And often it ends in the 90th minute. But in the Premier League, it's a little bit different. You've got to be tactically a little bit more astute. And I, I don't think he's quite there yet. And he owned it. I will say, I've been very critical of Frank Lampard's post-match assessments of games. He said, we are young, we are naive, the game management wasn't there, and that's why we lost. And, and, and that is the truth. Everton, obviously, were eventually going to find some form, as we know, and that's why they yeah. beat Chelsea. It was close, but again, I don't really think Chelsea were in it that much. I think Everton were quite comfortable throughout. Yeah. I, I think my only issue to take with it is saying that after 13 games, like you knew you were going into the season with a young team. So harness it, take it for what it is. If you're going to play impassionately, play impassionately. And I don't think Chelsea is doing that. Like, you know, yeah, if they're pushing forwards and they're going to break back, every member of Chelsea should be racing back mm -hmm. because they care for that team and they love that team. And that's how it should be. I mean, I think that's what Lampard needs to be playing on rather than saying it's young and we're naive. Sometimes that pays off. Sometimes that makes sense. But You've got to find what you're pulling that team into. Is it passionate? Or is it the fact that you're teaching them? And if you're teaching them, then everything should be regimented. It should be they fall back. They push forwards. Yeah, okay, they're going to occasionally make mistakes. That's how it works. That's the system. That's how you learn. But to me, it's still... This isn't me trying to hate on Lampard or Chelsea. I mean, it's just how I feel. It just feels like they're just making an excuse where instead they should be focusing on something and how they want to move that team forwards rather than trying to say, look, guys, this is how it is. It should be, yeah, this is what we've done, but we've got a passion level. We've got this and we got it wrong today. That's how it should be. It should be game by game. Yeah, we got it wrong. We're going to fix it. And I don't feel like I'm getting that. No, no, I, I agree. And I think that I understand what you're saying in terms of there's always an excuse. Every team always has an excuse. Mm. And often the excuse is just put out there and then it's never actioned. They never learn yeah. from their mistakes. You know, like Ollie will always say there's fine margins in the game, which is like the baseline vague 
basically, if things had gone differently, we would have won, which is a relevant comment to make. At least Lampard's being pointed about it and going, I see the errors. Let's see if he actions them in the coming weeks. My assessment would be of Chelsea this year that this is still a transitional year, that you all got a little bit carried away about thinking you were going to win the title, that you are still very young, but you also need to take a look at yourselves and think, well, last season, right now, you were six points ahead of where you were. Your two, your two game days worse off this year than you were last season, and mm-hmm. you've spent £220 million. So what is the excuse? Yeah. Where is it? Because I don't see it. What I see is Lampard learning on the job, like Arteta and Ollie, and it's going to take time. But Chelsea, as we know historically, will not allow managers to take time. Yeah. Now, yes, there is the X-factor variable that this man is a club legend, like Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, and like, I guess, Arteta, but he's not really an Arsenal legend, objectively. Yeah. What is the barometer for success that is acceptable for Frank Lampard? I think with 220 million spent, if you don't get top four, you've got to be sacked. I, I just, I can't not see that being the reality. Now, Oli yeah. can say, well, hang on, we only spent 60 million and I didn't get top four, I got sixth. And they can't be too critical. Yeah, sure, sure, of course we can be critical. What I mean, it's not damning, right? What I think is damning is crashing out the Champions League. That's a different argument. But with Lampard, with that money spent, you've got to have a deep Champions League run and you've got to get top four. Yeah. To be honest, for me, if you spend £220 million, you've got to get top two. Yeah, no, it's a fair assessment. And I totally agree. Like, If you're spending that money, it's got to be for a reason. It can't just be to figure out a club or you know, fill a hole. It has to be with the intention of doing something and winning. So, yeah, I completely agree. Like, I mean, look, it, if he wins an FA Cup, is that is that acceptable to you? Would you go, oh, that's fine? I don't, I, I don't know. I think the FA Cup is such a different beast and it's a different type of football. It's not a premium of prestige to Premier League and, you know, Champions football, whereas FA is purely passion i think it is about lifeblood like it's the underdog stories it's the big team actually having to fight against the small and it's a completely different game i think it's played on passion rather than a tactical mentality and how to figure a team out and how to win week in week out well i think it's it simply comes down to the fa cup isn't what it used to be in terms of prestige and a lot of high-paid, overpaid footballers would rather win the Champions League and the Premier League so they get apathetic towards it and that's why you see so many underdogs get so far in the FA Cup nowadays that Wigan won it in 2012. Yeah, I think I think it's a shame. I used to love the FA Cup. It used to be such an event and like, you know, seeing a small team fight like tooth and nail and like, you know, you'd see Man City playing down on some tiny little field and it was just great to watch you know just levels of passion and you never felt it from Premier League teams you know they turned up did their bit and left whereas every other team was kind of scrapping out and it's kind of lost that I think you're right it's lost the allure yeah I mean look we've been pretty damning about Chelsea it's only two it's only six points dropped but I'm very grateful it because it means that United are uh, essentially above Chelsea in the Premier League now so I get to lord that over uh, my mother and my brother and uh, anyone who's a Chelsea fan in the periphery of my life, you have choked a little bit, but there is some, we're still early doors. Course correction is well and truly an yeah. option here. But I think this weekend is everything because it's, it's Chelsea-West Ham. 
you know, West, West Ham win. West Ham are going to win that game. One hundred percent. Like it's a point between the two of them right now, so it's going to be a great game. Oh, I, I love it. I, you know, they lost me money last year, West Ham, because they won, and I will always be a little bit salty <laughs> about that in this derby. However. I love seeing Chelsea drop points. I'm sure I could swallow the, swallow my pride on that one. Speaking of choking, Ian, I'm I'm sorry to segue like this, but we got a we got a little flashback, a little reminiscence of the old Spurs come back in this yeah. week. Well, let let me explain. I broke my cardinal rule. Uh, you watched it, you idiot. I watched the game. <laughs> Why? I'm telling you, cursed. I know every Spurs fan who may be listening to this is like, you don't watch the games? No, guys, I don't watch the games because I'm cursed. I watched this game and we lost. I'm over it. I'm not watching it. I can't do it. But, yeah, it was... I felt like it was an in-between Spurs. It was the Spurs we saw last season where they weren't fully happy under Mourinho and they're still figuring themselves out and playing in Poch's old style. And I think that's where they got to. You know, they've, you know they had a poor game against Palace where they just couldn't convert and finish because Palace's goalkeeper was on freaking crack and was like, nothing gets past me. I was going to say, Palace's goalkeeper was unreal, so I, I wouldn't like, be too critical of that No, but you know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, like, it's, but you should be able to break that sort of game down a little bit more. But yeah, and then we come out against Liverpool, and I think we'd kind of lost some momentum, because we haven't had the last three games that haven't been too great. And, you know, last week I was bigging them up and like, oh, this is the kind of football we want to see. And I still think we're playing that football but there's a slight drop in confidence in that kind of football. You know, they weren't holding the pockets like they should. I mean, Aurier taking on Mane, fantastic. Absolutely beautiful play. Like, wouldn't let Mane move constantly on him. That's what you wanted to see. He was given a job and he did it. But the rest of the team, like, you don't give Salah space. You never do. But we were giving it. And credit to Liverpool, 100%. They were like, well, we're going to finish this game off one way or another. And they're going to take it. And that is proof why they were champions last season, because they will finish a game and they will take it by its horns. They're never going to back down. And I think that's something Spurs need to learn, and that's the mentality that they need to get around that. You have to go away and finish that game. We can't just sit back and crush it. You've got to go finish it. I think that the Salah goal was lucky. Mm. And, well, I don't want to be too... He got into a good position. He took the shot. He had every right to do that. He created the opportunity. Yeah. I don't know how he can claim that goal as his own. It takes a massive looping deflection. And as far as I was aware, if the shot loops up, loops up, it doesn't count as an on, on right. a target shot. Now, that's an element of luck. Then you scored a fortuitous goal. I don't want to say lucky because basically Liverpool switched off for a second and you immediately capitalised, which is the Mourinho way. Yeah. However, what I will say is that if you play Mourinho's style of football, which you guys are, and relatively successfully at the moment, you have to take your chances when they come. Mm -hmm. And when Bergwijn went through, I watched this game as well. I was like, goal. Goal. Goal, 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 goal. Spurs have done it. They've absolutely bamboozled Liverpool at Anfield. And he hit the post. And as soon as he hit the post, I was like, Liverpool winning the game. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And then obviously immediately compounded by Kane missing that absolute sitter of a header as well. I was just like, it's just going to go that way because Anfield is a fortress. And I've said this multiple times on this podcast, until someone beats them at Anfield, it will be tricky to go yeah. there. Yeah. But watch, I am putting respect on your name, Liverpool. I am saying you're playing very well and you played like champions and you showed everyone why you won the Premier League and why you are so good. But 
You're only that way at Anfield. You are fallible elsewhere. You are fallible away from home. And Fulham showed you up on the weekend. And maybe, maybe that's what really put a kick up their ass to make sure that they beat you. Because Fulham, I'm sorry, Liverpool were lucky to, win, to get a point. Fulham mugged them off. Oh, they were all over them. They were silky. They were smooth. I don't know what came over Fulham. They're like, this is how you play football, guys. You're going to they teach entered, the champions how to play football. They're like, yeah, we'll do that. They entered God mode. I told you, that yeah. happens to relegation fodder teams. All of a sudden, they switch and they go, we've gone into survival mode. We're going to play you know, play our balls off effectively. And they did. At, th- at half time, Fulham deserved to be 3 0 up. Mm. Allison, it showed how quality of a goalkeeper he is because he kept Liverpool in the game. And obviously, Liverpool got there. Very soft penalty, in my opinion. But I yeah. guess that's the ebb and flow of it because people would argue that Robertson's penalty that he gave away to Brighton wasn't one, whatever, yada, yada, yada. What I will yeah. say is that I think Fulham were incredibly hard done by. I think they were robbed of a penalty. Oh, and anyone who has me on Twitter knows that I felt that Fulham were hard done by mm. and, and should have been awarded a penalty because I'm going to say it now forever imprinted on audio for you all to hear. Fabinho did not get the ball. Not in any which way did he get the ball. And I had a Liverpool fan come on Twitter and go, he got the ball, blah, blah, blah. And you know, I said, sure he did, if you're blind. I've known this person for 10 years on Twitter. They've been following me for that long. And then they said, oh, piss off, and they blocked me. So I know, I know that you Liverpool fans are salty out there because you know that your away form is not good. Yeah. So let's see. It's a long season. You're back on top, and some would say that's where you belong. It's still a long season to play for. You've still got to go to White Hart Lane if Tottenham is still in the conversation, and you've not played us yet. You never yeah. know. You know, it might actually turn up. Someone might break it. And I, and I think that is a worry for Spurs, is this was a big game for them. You know, it was the mentality of having been knocked out by them in the Champions League. It was everything condensed into this moment, and, you know, being top of the table versus second big moments so I'm very concerned going into this next week as to what our mentality can be but you know for once I have belief in Mourinho that he's going to start pulling this team together and I'm excited to see how we go forwards I don't think it's overall a massive loss it's a big loss but I think I think Spurs still have it in them I think that in this game it's a prime example of where Mourinho needs to really pump into his players intelligence when you're playing the game at yeah. 1-1, they're still going compact. You're still playing very defensive. And I think you needed to be a little bit more expansive against Liverpool because they were smothering you effectively. Yeah. yeah, you carved out a couple of good chances from defensive play and long balls. That's absolutely fine because Liverpool were so keen on going forward. Mm-hmm. However, they didn't open up like Arsenal did. They didn't open up like City did. And because of that, I think you showed it in that game. As soon as you conceded the second one, you instantly started attacking. And if you can do, and as soon as you conceded the yeah. first instantly created a goal scoring opportunity and I think just to have that intelligence as a unit to go right well it's 1-1 this is too precarious of a scoreline we got to go we got to yeah. we got to get a goal uh, you might re- that might be the defining game of the season I hear a lot of conversation from people saying Fabino's goal might be the one we look back on and go that's the goal that the title was won on it's a long way to go there's still yeah, 25 games very long time Liverpool have to find some consistent form away from yeah. home but I do, I do want to briefly comment on how uh, Mourinho's using Dali. 
Because it seems like he's being used as a pit bull, like a caged pit bull. It's like, yeah, you get 10 minutes at the end, just go. Go at him as hard as you can. And I think that's going to be interesting for Dali and how he can kind of use that. Because I don't believe it's the way he should be playing. Because he's got too much in him. I think Dali is done out here at Tottenham. And I think oh. Mourinho's playing him for 10-minute bursts, not to as a tactical advantage, I think it's just to keep the dressing room happy because obviously Dali Ali's been there for a long time. He seems like quite a character and I imagine he has a lot of influence in the dressing room. Now, Mourinho might not rate him. He might be trying to condition him into being a more active player in training to have the desire to and need and want to prove himself and play. I don't know. I've seen it before. I've seen it with players at United with Mourinho not rating them, smothering them on the bench, Pogba he benched. Do you know what I mean? So it's a tricky one. It's just like yeah, it's not what you always want to see, but And obviously you have some sentimental attachment to Dali Ali and it must be frustrating for you because he has scored some very prolific goals from your club and has been prolific at points in his career. However, I agree that I think there are better options on the pitch than him at the moment. So I understand why he's not playing. Yeah, he was kind of part of that kind of, I don't want to say like a magical kind of Spurs where it was Kane, it was Son, it was Dali, it was Vertonghen, it was Alderweireld. It was just like a moment. It was a time frame, I think. And I think that's coming to an end, like you're saying. Anyway, hard week for Spurs. I think you will bounce back. I think if you're going to get in a title challenge, you have to, you, next team, you have to beat them convincingly and start building that momentum again. You can have a blip. You know, Liverpool helped you out by dropping points. You dropped points, so it's irrelevant. Yeah. Well, with the loss, Leicester. you got Leicester. You beat Leicester. You always beat Leicester. You always beat Leicester. Even when Leicester are on unreal form. Leicester were on unreal form going in to play you at the end of last season. You beat them 3-0 at, at um, the King Power Stadium. Irrelevant, irrelevant. You, you smash them. Harry Kane has scored the most goals against one club in his career, which is Leicester. So there you go. Wow. He'll be on it. Now... Ian, we've made you feel low. We've made you feel sad, depressed, talking about that. Time to make you feel better about yourself because it's time to briefly talk about Arsenal. Look. The fast, Farsenal, as we should call them. Honestly, if that game isn't a capitulation of how that team's doing, I don't know what is. Like, if you need a snapshot of how the Arsenal mentality is going, own goals, red cards, like, they have no control on the pitch. It's insane, the mentality they have right now. I've put Pierre-Emerick own goalie, Yang, because I had to. Very nice. And I put Arsenal in turmoil, because they are in turmoil. Let's, let's, be, let's be frank. Let's be and honest. Can, yeah, and you can see on the pitch, what, three red cards in three games it's been or something? Frustration, desperation. I think Arteta has lost the dressing room, in my opinion, and that the players are not playing for him. I actually think they might be playing to try and oust him. I think there's some bad eggs at Arsenal and have been for a very long time. And I've listened to a couple of like footballing podcasts and uh, deep dives by Arsenal fans and, and diehard Arsenal fans. And you've got to think, a lot of these players have played for three separate managers and have not performed for any of them. Yeah. And if, that, if you're looking at like Hector Bellerin, Granit Xhaka, Ozil, mm. and none of them performed, isn't it time to move them on? Isn't it time to say enough is enough? For because sure. if they keep... If they keep staying and the managers keep going, then they're going to consistently be, you know, you, it's not difficult. What's the problem? Hmm. All these players seem to be ter playing terribly under each manager. It must be the manager's fault. Get him out. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous, Arsenal. Come yeah. on. 
madness. I, I mean, yeah, it is great to watch as a Spurs fan, but then you feel those players who want to play, and it's just like, they just need to get their access. I don't know what to say. It's just absolutely mental. And the fact that it's filtering out onto the pitch so clearly for fans to see just shows you all as to what is going on at Arsenal. Is I don't feel sorry for Arsenal players. I don't give a fuck. Because their fans are so loud, so yeah. cocky, so arrogant, so entitled that I don't feel empathy for those players or sympathy for those players because at the end of the day, I'm like, well, your fans give me give it the big one. The, this is this is what's wrong with Arsenal fans base. Arsenal fan base, right? When they beat us, and yes, they beat us in shocking scenes. I don't know how. Now looking at these players, yeah, they didn't shut up about it. One nil penalty in a very otherwise very boring uncontested game. Fine, well done, Arsenal. You got your three points. Beat us at Old Trafford for the first time in like fourteen attempts. You've now lost four games on the bounce and drawn one. So in your last five games, your Premier League record is four losses and one draw. And instead of going, do you know what? Let's have some self-evaluation. Let's own it. We're not playing well. We're playing terribly. They'll go, yeah, but we still beat you. Yeah, but we still beat you at Old Trafford. Yeah, you're 15th. Yeah, you beat us on an off day. Well done. You're 15th. You've lost four games in a row in the Premier League and you've drawn one and yeah. three scored against you. Don't come at me bragging about anything. We're, we're sixth. We're sick for the game in hand. What are you talking about? We're nine points in front of you. And that part of their fan base is why I have no issue with ridiculing them because they are toxic as hell. And I love it. I love it. I love watching Arsenal fan TV and watching them suffer. They're all crying about it, shouting about it. Can I dash this chair against the wall? That dirty bastard, Harry Kane, he's done it again. It's hilarious because they're, they're almost like pantomime villains to me. You know, yeah. They're so over the top and hysterical. They're slipping away. I'm not saying they're going to get relegated because they've got too much quality to get relegated. They're slipping away from uh, relevancy, which is the most dangerous thing to do in football. Because believe it or not, there used to be a club as relevant as them in football, Leeds, Nottingham Forest. Where are they now? Championship. Stuck there perpetually. Not in Forest has won Champions Leagues. Well, European yeah. Cups. Now, now they can't get out of the Championship because the club allowed itself to descend into being irrelevant. And the same thing is happening to Arsenal because they, all they care about is the financial side of things. And look, the same thing might happen to United. I don't know. But right now, we're sixth of the game in hand. We win that game in hand. We're second. I'm okay with that situation. Arsenal have to have a real hard think because... There's rumours that David Luiz won't talk to Arteta. Mm -hmm. There's rumours that Arteta is basically totalitarian. If anyone disrespects him, he ousts them immediately in terms of you're not playing. Granit Xhaka's playing for you, temperament issue. You've had Pepe sent off, Gabriel sent off, and Granit Xhaka sent off this season. There's clearly a frustration discipline issue at Arsenal. It's so obvious. I, I don't get what's going on there, but I'm glad it is. And I, I knew Theo Walcott would score against them. It's, and it's just, you know, and the way they're playing, the fact that their keeper goes up in the final few minutes as if this is do or die, it's like... Well, it is. They're 15th, mate. I know it is for them. And it's insane that we're at this level 13 games into the season that you're having to make these moves. It's, yeah, it's crazy, but it's great fun to watch. Mental. 
mental. It is great fun to watch. Aubameyang finally scored, I will say. Um, he obviously scored an own goal, but know, I'm talking about he actually scored a goal in open play. He's got three this season. My, my pick to be top goal scorer this season has got three, whereas Human Son's got 12. Here's a stat that you will enjoy, Ian. Before they played Southampton, there was a stat flying around, which was Human Son has scored more goals than Arsenal have this season. <laughs> Which is laughable. It's so it's so just indicative of where they are and what they're at. Just oh my god! But look, they will turn their form around eventually. But saying that, they have an incredibly hard run of games right now. Let me just take you through who Arsenal have to play in the next three games. So they have got Everton, who are on good form now, as we know. Back on. They have got Chelsea, who will be looking to recapture their own form. That's yeah. that's a Boxing Day clash, mate. That's got a quality game for that's Boxing exciting. Day. Then they've got Brighton, who are difficult to go to. Yep. Then they got West Brom, <laughs> and then they got Palace. Right? It's, they, yeah, it, it's, yeah Palace they've got some easy games coming up, but but they're all yeah, they're dodgy little games, aren't they? Like the Palace game, the Brighton game. They're not ones you want to turn up, you know, go to really because you don't know what's going to happen. I think it's okay to be fifteenth as United have been 16th this season at one point. It's okay to be 15th first 10 games of the season. But when you start getting close to 20 games and you're still in the bottom half of the table, questions have to start being asked, right? Because you're like, well, hang on. If, what happens if we get to 30 games and we're still hanging around in the bottom half of the season? You know, they're not Obviously, they're not going to get relegated, but it's unacceptable for them well, not to finish in the top 10 yeah. with the quality of players they have. Yeah. It's, it's absolute madness. I, I can't believe they didn't sack him after um, the Burnley result. I would have I would have sacked Arteta after they lost 1-0 to Burnley at the Emirates. Sham, shambolic. That is unacceptable. You just don't do it. It's just not how it works. That's the Arsenal conundrum. It's unsolvable. No one can solve it. It's yeah. an absolute logistical nightmare. But good luck to them. And I look forward to many, many more weeks of enjoyment as United do terribly, but at least I can go, well, look, Arsenal are still really shit. I mean, yeah, it's just like a one-upmanship of shithousery over Arsenal, isn't it? It's like, oh, I can score an own goal. I can score two. I can get myself sent off. It's great to watch. (laughs) Okay, right. So we're going to quick fire through some of the results here because there's just so many. Uh, Leeds had one really bad result, lost to West Ham. And then they had one mental result where they not only beat Newcastle 5-2, but they had five individual goal scorers. And they were pretty phenomenal. As well. They were, yeah, of course. One game week before we have to play them, one game day before yeah. we have to play them, they turn it on, surprise, surprise. Jack Harrison was unreal. Goal yeah. and assist, absolutely incredible. Uh, they were firing all cylinders and Newcastle look uninspired. And they kept throwing themselves forward at Leeds. Like, if you're getting hammered like that, stop throwing yourself forward because ultimately all that's going to happen is you're going to get rinsed on the yeah, counter. And that is what happened. Every time Leeds burst forward, I was like, oh, they've got a three on one, a three on two, it's a goal. Special shout out to Jack Harrison's goal because that is a worldy, that is a rocket. My God. The confidence the man had to oh. just lash that into the top uh, right-hand corner of his left foot. Incredible. Everton, we, we won't talk too much about how they played. They played pretty well, but Good result against Chelsea, 1-0. Uh, it was a penalty, but I, I felt that they were in control. And every time they broke, Chelsea, like I said earlier, were terrified by it. Yeah, the goal was coming, whether it was a pen, free kick, whatever. It was coming from a corner. It was, it was guaranteed. 
The problem with the mentality of Chelsea is often we hear about them conceding first and then coming back. They conceded first against Sheffield, they came back and smashed them. They conceded first against Leeds, they came back and smashed them. What happens when you play a team which, if you concede first, you can't bounce back against? And Everton showed that. That yeah. you know they, they had a little bit more quality and thus they were managed to grind out the win. Uh, and also they convincingly beat Leicester and that ties nicely into the point that I've written above which is where I put bottle rockets one for you as a Wes Anderson fan as a reference for you for that and two because Leicester are the biggest bottle jobs in the Premier League I've said it multiple times they slap Brighton up they absolutely abuse Brighton and then they lose to Everton at home how? they don't like being at home do they? they hate it yeah it's so weird it, well, you know, I, I can relate to it because Man United have been absolutely shocking at home this season. But at the end of the day, we're shit. Leicester showed that they have real quality in them sometimes. However, not at the moment. Yeah, but they, I get, look, they obviously they won at home against Brighton, but Brighton are allowed an off day. They're a team that are constantly trying every, every week to grind out results against teams that have higher quality players in them. And they do a good job of balancing their work ethic and ability and you know sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't but Everton look comfortable Leicester look deflated uninterested yeah they're a team where we're playing them on boxing day right yeah they're so 50 50 I have no idea what to expect we're either going to absolutely smash them 4-0 or they're going to do us 2-1 yeah they're going to give you the game of your life it's going to be we don't know. It's it's yeah. mental, and well, they I guess they have been a team that have always been like that. Because I remember one season they beat us two one at their at, uh, uh, at uh, their gaff, and then at ours we beat them four 0 We scored four goals by half time. How? It's mad. It's just it's, the way of football, Brandon, man. Brandon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Rogers effect. Uh, another special shout out and the final special shout out of this week is to trigger happy referees. We had some bloody trigger happy referees in the Premier League this weekend. They're like, oh, red card. I know we just laughed at Arsenal. That was not a second yellow. <laughs> so many of them weren't second yellows. Like even going back to the Villa game, sending them off on the 90th plus minute. Oh, yeah, Matinho. I was like, yeah. that's harsh. And the problem is, I think, it is the right way to referee, essentially, but we're not used to it. So that's why we're saying it's trigger-happy, because effectively, if you're careless enough to get a first yellow, then you, don't, you shouldn't get a special, special conditional treatment on your second yellow. You know, it's like when someone gets nicked and they get a caution. You're like, well, don't do it again, because you get arrested. And then the players, it's like, well, if you didn't do it in the first place, maybe you would have got a caution the first time. That's the way that players got to be. And these little tactical fouls, I agree with the officiators, they are completely ruining the game. When a team breaks and someone pulls another player down to stop it from happening so they can reset as a defensive unit, that's scummy. That is a scumbag move. Prime example this past two game weeks was uh, Callum Wilson. Yeah, 100%. He made, he made a little uh, striker's challenge with uh, quotation marks there, as everyone likes to say, which is just a horrible, dodgy challenge that doesn't normally get booked. But because he's a striker and he, he, yeah. he adds, it, it, you can't get, there can't be this conditional special treatment. Like we said, it's got to be a unilateral rule. If you do X, it equals X. If you do that, it equals X. And yeah, we can take context into account, but tactical fouls are inherently insidious to stop at, uh, offensive plays. Uh, so good on the referees for sending those players off. Indeed. Need more of it. Well, simply, if you, if you did it every time that someone did the first tactical uh, yeah. foul in a game, players wouldn't do it. 
Now, obviously, some players would do it if it was like the 90th minute and if the team breaks, that it costs them all three points. Of course. Yeah. However, that's only a one-match ban. It's slightly different. Anyway, that was the football this week. It was absolutely crazy. Uh, a, lot of, a couple of expected results, many unexpected results. United, with the possibility of being second, was completely foreign to me and also yeah. in the cards. I mean, this season has been such a weird, like, seesaw. Like, we, we began the season with absolutely insane results, and now we're down at a point where the results aren't massive, but the teams who are winning shouldn't really be winning, and the teams losing shouldn't be really losing. I mean, it's turning into a great season. Just to compound that and summarise on that, I guess, really. Uh, last night, Man United played Sheffield United. It was 3-2, a scoreline I really didn't like towards the end. I don't know how you got to 3-2. That's insane. Effectively, it came down to defensive yeah, idiocy, sure. idiocy again and Ollie's team selection. But Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer said something the other day. He said, I could call up Chris Wilder and we could have a friendly down the park and it would have the same level of intensity and magic that it would if I play them next week in the Premier League because the fans are what are missing from the game. Now, yeah, a lot of people are using that as, oh, he's just trying to say it's, it's yeah. just an excuse and yada, yada, yada. But there is, it's not, I don't think it's as passionate as it, as it was because the celebrate, it's not the same, is it? When it's, you score a derby, you run, you say, yeah. Yeah, I, I won't lie because, you know, Spurs-Liverpool game, you know, Kane Nino scored. was definitely pa passionate when, it, when yeah, he scored. But Kane scores a goal, which is pretty decent, brings him tied, and he kind of just gives a little half-hearted jump in the air. And, a, and you're like, that's not the normal Kane. That's not the, we're back in this. Because you feed off the fans, don't yeah. you? You feed off them. And the energy they put out is the energy you put out. You know, it's when people like say, I want to see the same energy for X, Y, and Z, whatever it would be. The same goes for celebrations, football, intensity in football, passion in football. Now, obviously, Liverpool are thriving off their winners and their own hubris and they want to play again. So, of course, they're going to be passionate. And a lot of people are discrediting them. And they're probably a lot more uncomfortable this season than they wanted to be due to injuries and stuff. So, they're, they're in essence, in their probably own twisted, warped perception, yeah. defying the odds. It is a common conception in football that retaining the Premier League is harder than winning the Premier League. So because of that, they've got already got the fire lit under their be belly. There's, there's no 12th man. 12th man is not a variable this season. The, the crowd are the 12th man sometimes, especially for teams like Sheffield United. Their fans would have played a huge part in their fantastic Premier League season last, last year. And now, one point after you know, 12 games, I did have an interesting perspective on the lack of fans. Do you feel that the lack of fans is also protecting managers from being sacked quicker than they would be because there's no one to voice their discontent. Yeah, I, I would agree that managers are getting off a little lighter because there isn't this push against them. Obviously, there's so much vocal, you know, so many people vocal on social media and stuff, but not hearing it every time you tune in really does tell. Like, you know, you know the, those, the owners are in a board meeting, they're looking at it, they're like, oh, it's fine. But because there's not, thousands of fans screaming to have you out there's not signs there's not this push I agree that they are they're definitely getting an easier ride right now uh, well maybe it helps them because they're feeling less pressure but maybe that should incentivize them to perform more uh, the reason i speak about this is because obviously the break showcases on marcus rashford this week for anyone who doesn't know uh marky mark from the new kids on the block as we know him he scored a brace last night against sheffield united we looked quite comfortable until the dying seconds but because of the 
lack of fans, I guess there was always a chance that Sheffield were uh, going to get back into the game and they nearly did it oh, to death. Yeah. But other than that, you know, United limp on. I said limp on about Spurs a couple of weeks ago. United are very much limping on right now. Um, anyway, good, good good game week for me. Or, or a win, well, two game weeks, a win and a draw. Uh, unfortunately, a draw and a loss for you. But hopefully you get an easy run of games now and you can start mounting uh, a counter challenge to uh, the gauntlet that Liverpool threw down. The, the perfect Mourinho way. So let's see if we can do it. Definitely. Right. Okay. Before we go on to the Brace Showcase, uh, Ian briefly wanted to speak about the FA's decision not to reprimand Millwall for their actions, yeah, which we, we spoke both, about last week. Yeah, we both spoke about it very passionately, and the FA have decided to come out with a statement saying that while they condemn it and they support the teams, they're not going to do anything to actively punish the fans of Millwall or uh, the ones at the Colchester game, which to me is just outrageous. And I know before we got on this call, Harley, you were speaking about whether you can't sort of punish a collective versus finding individuals because we were talking about the Cavani incident where he's been punished and given a three-week ban. But I just, it just seems so weak from the FA to go, oh yeah, we don't like it, but we're not going to do anything about it. Mm. You, if, if you're going to start making these statements and you know they've de- denied the political statement that taking a knee is, fine, I don't care about that. But if you're going to choose to make statements you need to back them and you need to be a part of those statements you can't just make them half-heartedly because that's why we're in all this issue anyway because people made half-hearted promises and half-hearted gestures it needs to be full gesture it needs to be solid i completely agree and if you look at it in a case basis of say i worked at b&q which Mm. i have historically in the past if you worked there you'd expect your employer to protect your rights your own comfortability in the workplace um, and your safety you're basically, Will will employ that footballer or those footballers, mm-hmm. right? They should be protecting their rights, their civil interests, as much as the fans. And it is a balancing act. However, if one element is being toxic and, and racist, frankly, towards the other, under the guise of whatever pseudo-political cause they want to cite, they should be prioritising the direct employee of themselves rather than the fans. It's as yeah. simple as that for me, because they should be saying... If anyone is caught booing a Black Lives Matter stance in the stadium, you're banned. Which uh, happened at the Exeter Ch- Colchester game where the fan was ejected from the stadium, as yeah. it should be. But it shouldn't be a case of we need to find that one. If you can't find the one, you're all out. Like, you've got to be a club. If you're a club, you're a club. You can't do what Millwall did and roll out a banner that says we support them and they all begin to clap. Yeah, it's a different, probably selective of people and they're probably more open-minded, but it all just becomes a little performative and we just get into the issues that we've always had. If you give racist and intolerance, racism and intolerance an inch, they'll take a mile. Exactly. And they've allowed them to take an inch effectively and I think it's morally repugnant. It would be our very short snippet on this week because we're not going to... We spoke about it so much last week. We're just saying, frankly, we're very disappointed that the FA are happy to ban Edison Cavani for a social media post, which people find racially insensitive, but not a collective at Millwall and Colchester who are, if anything, being more insidious than that post. So how can we need parity when it comes to these decisions? And if you don't, how can you reprimand one case like that, but not the other? I don't understand. But I mean, as a positive for the FA is the fact that they're actually going to introduce the concussion uh, sub. Yes, that is true. Very, very yeah. true and good. I'm very happy about that. So, 
well, it doesn't uh, do away with their evils elsewhere. I'm glad to see it. So, you know, progression is not a straightforward journey. It is an uphill battle. Sometimes we move forward in one ways and regress in others. But as long as we keep moving forward on some level, that's what's important, right? However, I will say it is frustrating that it's taken so long and for that to happen to Raul Jimenez, for them to actually go, right, enough is enough. Because this isn't the first time a player has had that significant of an injury in a football match. And I think we have to kind of be grateful, as much as it can be toxic and an absolute shithouse, social media um, and the internet and the way that the media is now broadcast internationally across the world and readily available, the fact that that medium has played in highlighting these points and players being able to come out on their personal platforms and say, enough is enough, we need to protect players more. So yes, while I glibly, while I glibly go, well done, FA, I also go, well, it's taken, you, you took too long, you took too long, we should have had this years ago. Is but we're we're in a generation now where we have to celebrate the progress because we've condemned it for so many years that progress is progress and we need to push it forwards. We can't keep being like you've done it wrong. It's like great, it's there. Let's move it forwards. And I mean, let's segue that into someone who is making incredible progress not only on the pitch but off the pitch. And to your great showcase of the week, indeed, Marky Mark. As we said before, the new kid on the block. He's young. He's good looking. Uh, he's a, a model professional. And, I think uh, it's the first time you've introduced one of the players as good looking. He is good looking. Oh, what can <laughs> I say? No, he's, um, he's a very much beloved figure across the United Kingdom at the moment. I think you have to be truly reductive insidious. and insidious yeah. and basically a twat if you don't like him. Because <laughs> I'm sorry to label you that way, but the man is, is a national icon at the moment. And uh, that is a, a commonly held opinion. He transcends the rivalries and perceptions and subjectivity of football because rarely do you look at a player's actions and you can go, that seems organic, that seems real, that seems personal to you. You often think, oh, well, it's good PR, right? Because it's the cynic in everyone. But yeah. This man is, is redefining our perception of what the model professional should be. We used to hold it up as David Beckham. And by the way, Beckham was never completely the model, modern professional, but he was the clean cut version of what a footballer should be. This man is one that wants to be as successful off the pitch as on the pitch. And while he might not have the charisma to one day go into politics or whatever after sports, like some people are trying to harp on about at the moment, he is a man that is fighting for the everyman. So the divide between classes will only be shifted and, and, and closed by the mentality that this sort of man has, because he was a working class lad. He's now a very rich lad. And, you know, does that automatically make him upper class? I don't think so. No, because it, it's the way that he's using his platform. And he's concretely said, this isn't my goal. This is what my mum taught me to do. And he said it's his mum's push. The whole, you know, feeding hungry children has come from his mum. And it's like, I've made the money. I've got the platform. We can do this now. And that is exactly what you should be doing with a footballing mentality. That's where you should be going with your fame and your notoriety. That is the area you should be pushing into. Where you go, right, we've got it. We can do it. So let's do it. 100% agree with that. And we'll come back to uh, charitable accolades and endeavours le later on once we start talking about his career. So at, uh, this is a man that plays for my club. So I've watched him his entire career. He's only really been active in the game for about four years, Ian, now. But uh, I think everyone's known about him for a very long time. He was one of those 
future stars that everyone talks about. And I still think he's very much on his journey and will eventually get there. But it has been not all good, not all firing all cylinders the entirety of his Man United career. There are reasons for those, but we'll sort of explore them now. However, Marcus Rashford is 23 years old. He is Mancurian by birth. I've put Mancurian mandate here and I've put born to play for Manchester United. However, it pains me deeply to say that he did have a one week trial at Manchester City at the age of seven before he joined the Man United Youth Academy. You cursed him out at age seven. You're like, this kid is dead to me. I was like, you flirted with Manchester City, you absolute rat. No, I'm kidding. Look, as we've spoken about on Brace Showcases before and on this podcast before, if you want to be a footballer, you have to you have to entertain every endeavour. You have to take every opportunity you can to get into the sport because it's so hard to break into. It happens. You know, yeah. Peter Schmeichel played for Man City. I hate him for it, but that's just the way it is. He started at a youth level, Marcus Rashford, at Fetcher Moss Rangers, which was a local side in his local area of Manchester, before joining Man United's Youth Academy at the age of seven and going, no way, Manchester City. This is the only way for me. <laughs> Interestingly, in the last couple of break showcases, we've been speaking about players who were famously known for playing in another position before they actually gravitated towards the position they're in now through their youth journey. What position, well, I think you should know from the talking points, but I'll ask you anyway for the, the entertainment gambit. What position do you think Marcus Rashford was known for playing at a youth level before he transitioned into a striker slash winger? Yeah, I really hate that you set it up like that because now I feel like I really should have read the points where I just re- I just read who the phrase showcases and I'm like, fine, we've got this. Um, I don't know. I feel like left back. No, goalkeeper. No way. Goalkeeper, yeah, totally, man. Jeez. I don't know how tall Rashford is. I think he's about 6'2", so it, that probably is yeah. right. He's probably the right height for a keeper. So when he was younger, he really wanted to be a goalkeeper and his goalkeeping idol was... Tim Howard, who was a Manchester United player at the time. When you look at Rashford now and you look at his playing style, Tim Howard is not who you think, oh man, that's the man that really instigated his love for the sport, getting into the sport. The man he aspired to be, you think like, maybe like Cristiano Ronaldo, maybe like Ruud van Nistelrooy. Obviously, because he is a huge Manchester United fan, as he said throughout the entirety of his career, I just thought it was funny that he played between the sticks. I think it's fantastic. Like, looking at him, he has the build of a keeper, like he's gangly and he's like, he's got the reach. You could, you could see it though. When I say it, you're like, well, hang on. I can totally yeah, see that. I see it very much. Rashford is one that kind of breaks the, the mold of the archetypes that we've spoken about previously. We'd spoken about Ian, players going on loan, uh, having to vindicate themselves and then come back to clubs or then be spotted by someone else and bought and finally getting their chance. However, Rashford is one who broke into the first team at the age of 18 and has consistently stayed in the periphery of United's starting lineup since then. There is a little bit of a narrative story about this and I I have first-hand experience of it, so I know. Um, Rashford's debut, first-team debut, was in the Europa League in 2016 under uh, Louis van Gaal and that's why I put Gaal of a player. Now, I'd like to say it's because Van Gaal saw something in Rashford. He saw an innate ability and he went, this man has to play. But the reality is... Um, we were so injury stricken at the time. We had no striker. Martial was injured. Uh, Memphis Depay was injured. Someone else was injured at the time. We just had to play him. We didn't have a choice. And he was the best out of the youth academy. 
So into the first team he went. And this ties nicely, in, nicely into my second talking point I put down here, which is first. Just first, full stop. Because <laughs> Rashford has scored in every first appearance in every competition he's played in. So wow. FA Cup, Premier League, League Cup, Champions League, Europa League. The man scores first. He scored in his first appearance for the England senior team as well. There's going to be an underlying opinion theme here from me. Marcus Rashford needs to be more consistent as a player but one thing he is, is a big game player. Oh, 100%. 100%. The man's, I put here, Manchester's Europa League hoper. He was our only hope. He came on against Midi Hab, which is a, a Danish team. Sorry if I've absolutely butchered the, the spelling <laughs> of that. Liverpool recently played them in the Champions League. He scored two goals in his first appearance. And everyone was like, oh. You know what? Sometimes when a youth player goes up, comes on, you're like, oh, that's good. I really hope they have a really good career. And then they fade into the abyss. For sure. This was not this man's experience. When he came on and scored those two goals, Rashford's goals made him Manchester United's youngest ever scorer in European competition, be, uh, beating a record only previously held by George Best. Now, unfortunately, Mason Greenwood's, and fortunately for me, Mason Greenwood has come along and beaten that record in 2019. So it is what it is. It might be, not be a long hell record, but. He was the first. Then, Rashford's first Premier League game was against Arsenal. And I remember this game. I was at my nan's having a Sunday roast. My friends had come down from university. My nan has terrible internet. I had it up on the screen. I was trying to get buffering. And Herrera scored the first. I remember it was a massive deflection. And then Rashford scored a brace in his second ever game in the United shirt against Arsenal. And we beat them. And then, later on that season, we played Manchester City. It was 1-0 United. Rashford scored the winner. And that marked him as the youngest ever scorer in a Manchester derby in the Premier League era. The man is just dynamite when he wants to be. <laughs> just truly, dynamite. Truly is. He also went on to, that season, to win an FA Cup in his first season as well. Now, he didn't score in the final. Sorry, guys. He did. I'm sorry to disappoint you. That that. that, that title was reserved for Jesse Lingard which seems absolutely shocking in hindsight now <laughs> so the picture painted is Rashford burst onto the scene in his debut season uh, due to injury took his chances really really took his chances by the horns and relished them but then the next couple of years was a, a difficult one we've all we've all got a love for Marcus Rashford and there's some some United fans think he's too wasteful he doesn't have the football intelligence he needs sometimes he looks down doesn't look up doesn't make the pass he's selfish I don't I couldn't clearly tell you what I think Marcus Rashford's best position on the pitch is he often plays as a left winger for us a lot of people want him to play striker a lot of people want him to play right right winger as a traditional right winger but the following two seasons he played uh, second fiddle to Zlatan Ibrahimovic, which you can't really argue against, yeah. and Romelu Lukaku. Again, you can't argue with, and in hindsight, Lukaku's numbers at United during the time there are pretty good, so I can't see the argument for why he shouldn't have played. But Rashford, you know, he was all over the front line, at the front, left wing, right wing. Tough, tough, because when you're played all over the shop, it's, it's tough to find consistency. If you play as a striker, of course, you're going to get more opportunities. You're going to get more goals. If you play as a winger, you're going to get less opportunity, but more opportunities for assists. So it's a difficult time. But there was like an elite striker, traditional archetypal striker purge at the end of the 2018 season. So Zlatan obviously went off to the MLS and did bits. And big Romelu Lukaku had enough of 
the toxic United fans and moved to Inter Milan. And him and Martial became the the two forces at the top of the United attacking line now mm. that effectively delivers. However, what I will say about Marcus Rashford is that he's a four-time winner. So he's won a League Cup. He's won a FA Cup. He's won a Europa League, which he scored a vital goal in extra time in the Europa League semi-final against Anderlecht. Embarrassing that it had to go to extra time, but nevertheless, we got there. And he's won that Community Shield. He's also an established England professional, so at England youth level, he's played for the under-16s, the under-18s, the under-20s, the under-21s, and the England national team. However, his numbers are not great for England. He's scored no goals at under-16 level, no goals at under-18 level, no goals at under-20 level. He made one appearance at under-21 level and scored three goals, so that goal-to-game ratio is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and for England, he's made 40 appearances and scored 11 goals, which is not great considering how much potential he has. But again, we spoke about last week, Ian, on the last break showcase, and it's funny mm-hmm. that I compared Rashford and Zaha's numbers last week and then Rashford went and scored a brace immediately <laughs> this week. But we were talking about how exposure to the Premier at a young age primes you for success. Because, yeah. you know, he's at the moment his numbers are... 154 appearances for United and 49 goals in the Premier League. Right. But he's only 23. Yeah, he's got so much time. He's not reached his prime. He's still in developmental phase. He's still learning as a footballer. He's currently got Cavani at the club, who's probably teaching him things about positional play, running lines, whatever it would be that he can learn from. But also, he's got time. He's probably going to hit the Premier League top 100 scorers. I have no doubt about that because you can just look at general trajectory. And Rashford has said famously he wants to stay at Man United for his entire career. And I would love that. I would love a one-club player to look back fondly when I... I mean, when I'm old and grey, because that's when it will be when he retires effectively. And go, man, that man delivered for us consistently for years. He loved yeah. United. He stayed there his whole career. And he, and he was rewarded for it. And I hope he is rewarded for it. But he's good on the pitch. He's excellent off the pitch would be my assessment so far, right, Ian? I don't because... know. I, I just think, yeah, I just think it's, it's funny how consistent he is in terms of getting to play. Like when you were listing out the, his under 1720s England achievements, Every year he's being picked. Every evolution he's staying in the squad. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what everyone sees about him. They're like, you have it all. You can do it. But you just need to do it every day. And that's what we want from you. Because he can. I, I agree. And here is a winning quotation endorsement from Cristiano Ronaldo. He said, he is a very good young player. I see some, some of myself in him for sure. He has courage and he's fast and he's very good with the ball. I think for strikers, they have to be hungry to score. And I see that with him. He has an amazing future. Mm. As we said about Harry Kane, when Alan Shearer endorsed him live on this podcast, through the the medium of the internet in hindsight, Ronaldo has done the same. I see a little bit of Cristiano in Rashford, not the same ability or dedication or desire, but I do see the hunger he speaks about. And like I said, it's really early doors. The man's nearly got 50 Premier League goals and he's only 23 years old. I would say there's only one understatement in that whole statement. It's the fact that he said he's fast. The kid is rapid. When he gets going, he is 100%. He is lightning. Yeah. So I wouldn't just say he's fast. Like when he's in gear, just get out of his way because he's going to come for you. Well, I think he 
Rashford last year unfortunately suffered from a back quite a severe back injury and since then he's never really had the sort of like the off the blocks wow factor of burst of pace because I think he's just worried about hurting himself and that's natural it happens to every player after they get injured they're always a little bit resistant to come back in and and go balls to the wall like they used to before but he's he's in it's always difficult when we do a brace showcase on someone who's so young because there's very little to say about their entire career rather yeah. than doing like a play-by-play. There is an X factor about Rashford and there is a big game mentality. This man is the guy that scored the winning penalty against PSG in the Champions League knockout when United were 2-0 down in the first leg. They lost at home. We went to PSG in the 94th minute. Did Romelu Lukaku step up and say, give me that penalty? The established elite striker who's done it at a top level, did he stand up, grit the ball, put it on the ground and say, I'm taking it? No, Rashford did at the age of 21. And he put it past Buffon, who is considered to be one of the greatest goalkeepers ever yeah, under sneers and jaunts from PSG fans. It's quality. And he Bam. had the cojones to do that. You know, so the man wants to perform, he wants to deliver, and that is shown not only in his commitment on the football pitch, but in his endeavours outside of it. I mean, it didn't just start with his fair share stuff, Ian. Before that, the man was doing campaigns, charity work. Listen to this. In October 2019, Rashford set up the In the Box campaign with Selfridges to give homeless people essential items over the Christmas period, something he wanted to do when first training with United as a youth. He and his mother visited homeless shelters to personally hand the boxes out while also sending some to children's home in his grandmother's home county of St. Kitts and Nevis. That was, before, that was last year. That was before yeah, the big... any sort of COVID media exposure. And obviously anyone who's listening knows what Rashford has done during this time. Not only has he endeavoured to provide for impoverished kids, he's actively and openly called out the British government for their failings. I quote here saying that Rashford criticised that voted against his campaign to extend children's financing of school meals. He said that the Conservatives that voted against those lacked humanity. And it spewed a meme culture. Like, the amount of people who were like, oh, is that a starving kid? Tories walk past. That was everywhere. Like, Completely agree. It came from that. It was him being like, well, how can you ignore this? I've asked to feed starving kids and you've said no? Is that the government we want? He's not a man that backs down either, right? So he's not a man. They said no. He was said, right, well, we'll find an alternative. Do you remember that day when he used his Twitter feed to essentially put out an open service and say, anyone who wants to donate a food to, uh, to hungry kids, hit me up on Twitter. I'll call you out. We'll sort it out. We'll do the logistics. It yeah. flew off. Everyone, he, he raised over, was it like 20 million different businesses wanted to come in and help impoverished kids. That's what the core of this pandemic should be about. Helping each other, not helping yourselves, not caring. The, the economy be down, be damned. The economy will be down, but the economy be damned. Because at the end of the day, Obviously, this is something personal to him. In parts of his life, he must have felt impoverished. His family must have felt impoverished. And he wants people to know that just because the rich out there are surviving happily through this pandemic, it doesn't mean that no one cares. Mm. And like, you know, when some people do like a glib spin, like a a PR stunt and stuff, Rashford doesn't do, it doesn't feel that way. It feels genuine. Indeed, it's the decorum and the humbleness that he brings to the situation. The fact that he deflects instantly is being like, no, nah, it was my mum's idea. I'm just 
pushing it through and like I believe in it because my mum believed in it and I think it's the right thing. That is just him being like, like we said at the top of this is, I have a platform, I'm going to use it. I don't want recognition for this. I don't want your, your OBEs. I don't want any of that. I just want to do it and save kids and give them food and that's it. That's all I want to do here. Nothing more. Well, he's not doing it for the clout, right? He's not looking for the exactly. clout, essentially. Not at all. Not at all. Like the amount of times he's, you know, shrugged cameras off and diverted, it's impressive. He is literally doing it because he wants to do it. I completely agree. And I'm a huge lover of Marcus Rashford through football anyway, but it, it just enhanced that love for me more. Yeah. I mean, this is not the first endeavour, like I said. He also did something for 2020 Book Day, Rashford was one of a number of celebrities who supported a campaign to share million stories. He also agreed to judge a poetry competition for children with hearing parents and began learning sign language in preparation. The man cares. The man doesn't oh, do man, something half-hearted. The man, if he commits to something, he does it. Hmm. Oh, it's beautiful to see and beautiful to hear. I didn't know about the World Book Day stuff. That's just, oh, I love this man. He is, yeah, he's wholesome. He's the definition of wholesome. And you want him to be successful by proxy. You know, many MPs have come out and said, look, Man City said, even today, when you play us, Marcus Rashford is a hero in our eyes. Yeah. That's what it's about, because he is. It's, it's not about the rivalries and the divides of football and anything like that. It's about coming together. The sport is about a shared experience of enjoyment. And yeah, there is, you know, niggles and whatever inside of it, but it needs to be a community. And he's playing a huge part in creating that. I will go through some of his numbers season by season, just so we know. So we do the tr more traditional format rather than blow it, smoke up his ass, which I've essentially done for like the last 20 minutes. I will say briefly, he did win an MBE. Um, he was awarded an MBE by the University of Manchester, an honorary one. He's the youngest person to ever receive one, but it's not something that he asked for. It was something that was given because he, he, he did so much. So as we briefly touched on before, in terms of uh, accolades inside the Premier League, he's never won one, sadly. Hopefully that changes. However, he has won a Player of the Month. He won it in January 2019. It's the only one he's ever won. In 154 appearances, he has scored 49 Premier League goals. One away from 50. Come on, Marcus. And then he has scored... Uh, sorry, he has assisted 25 goals. Season by season, we have got first season... 11 appearances, five goals. Following season, 32 appearances, five goals. Not great, but 16 appearances were as a substitute. Okay. Following season, 35 appearances, but 18 as a substitute, seven goals. Okay. So we're starting to pick up numbers-wise, making progress. 2018-2019, yeah. uh, nice 33 appearances, seven as a sub, 10 goals. Okay. Progress. Yeah, that's what we like to see. Last season... He had 31 appearances, no subs, 17 goals. Great, great return. Yeah, take that. And this season, 12 appearances and five goals. Now, as we know, United have struggled to score. We know that to be factually true at the start of this season. Uh, but he's starting to pick up a little bit. It has been a slow start, not only for him, up top of Anthony Martial. Yeah. Bruno Fernandes has been the real catalyst. And it seems that we're a team that seems to be scoring from every angle rather than just an individual talisman. Sure, I hope yeah. he can. I, I hope he can be that. But I'll give you some numbers from this season that make me feel slightly better about him. He might not be in the Champions League anymore, but in six appearances in the Champions League, the man scored uh, seven goals. That's mad. That is insane. 
and we're out, which is the truly astounding thing to me. <laughs> but at least he'll be in the conversation with the goal scorer. Yeah. Yeah, I, know. I can't even get into that. The, the fact that in, that's one player scoring seven goals, and that's not even all the goals scored within your uh, campaign run. I know. He, he was on fire in the Champions League, and hopefully that now just translates over to the Premier League and the Europa League now that we're back on Thursday nights. We're, we're part of the Emmerdale crew. Whoop, 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 whoop. That's the brace showcase for Marcus Rashford. Tremendous talent, and that's not being being biased objectively. He's, he's no, a sweetheart. The man is a sweetheart. He is a stallion. He's a technically gifted footballer. He has a huge future ahead of him, we hope at least. And we hope he starts to deliver for England on a more prolific level. But there's a lot of love here oh, across the screen. And from you listeners, I'm sure. But I'm glad that we've, we got to do one on... I put Sir Marcus here, but he's really Marky Mark and the boys. Hopefully, many more brace showcases to come for Manchester United players in the uh, recent in, in the coming weeks. But we'll see. I doubt it very much. Well, yeah, well, well, I mean, if you keep winning by three goals, then there should be some braces. Oh yeah, well, a special shout out to Anthony Martial who finally got his first Premier League goal of the season last night. All right, jeez. And it was luck. It was really lucky as well. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. They all count. They all count. They as all Marcus count. knows. Yeah, now I know. Just as a, a caveat, I'm going to say this here. Because Rashford is now one goal away from 50, I bet he doesn't score for weeks. <laughs> I bet. It's such a mental block. You're just like, yeah. I've got to get over the line. Right, okay. So now, Ian, we have to go through last week's game results. Now, we, we hinted at it earlier. I have to give Ian the midweek game week because I didn't make any predictions that Ian gets a win. There you go. <laughs> well done, Ian. Don't, don't play it down. I'm going to take that. Look. I am Sheffield United right now. I will take the three points. I'll take what I can get, even if it is by default, even if it is by another team's failings. I take those three points and I take them proudly. I failed big time. So, Ian also beat me in the Fantasy League by one point this week. I got 39 points. Ian got 40. Oh, what a trash Fantasy League it was. I know, I know. You don't have to tell me, mate. None of the consistent performance consistently performed this week and we all got left out in the the cold. So... Son got 18 points and isn't a star player. I don't really understand what's going on. Well, you know why, mate. I'm not going to answer that. Anyway, starting this week, it was 10-2 because of my failings as a human being and a football fan. Ian is now on 10-3. Well done, Ian. Good shout out to you. <laughs> it sounds awful when you put it like that. <laughs> yeah, well, that is what it is. I knew, I knew. I was like, ah, oh, I didn't predict it. And I tell you what, I did actually predict uh, two results, viewers, and I got neither of them right. So <laughs> I was like, look, just give it up. Harley, it's over. But we did predict the game week beforehand, and there is it's all still to play for. So... The first game, Ian, of that week was Leeds versus West Ham. I went 2-2. You went 3-2, Leeds. We're both wrong. Both idiots. Move on. Egg on our face. Indeed. The following game week, uh, game day, sorry. Fuck that. The following match was Wolves-Aston Villa. Yep. You went 2-1. I went 2-1 the other way. So you went 2-1 Wolves. I went 2-1 Villa. So that's one point for me. I'm awful at this. Then West Brom, New, uh, Newcastle, West Brom. I went 2 0. You went 1 0. So it's a point each. Okay. So after that, that leaves us at 2 1 to me. Mm-hmm. Now, you backed Man United. So of course, we didn't win. You backed it 2 1. I backed it 3 1. It was 0 0. Very boring game. We yeah. move. We both backed Chelsea. 
thinking we were hard and we were wrong. The one week we don't back Everton, they let us down. <laughs> Just the way it goes, right? Yeah, way of the world. So you went 3-1 and I went 3-1 and it was 1-0 to Everton. Then the following game was Southampton-Sheffield. You went 2-0. I went 3-0. Oh, come on. <laughs> so that's 5-2 uh, that's to me at present. I just can't catch a break. Then Crystal Palace, we both were like, yeah, Spurs win this comfortably. You went 3-1. Oh, you put five goals up for them or something. You put 3-1, I put 4-1. It was 1-1, uh, as we know. Fulham, Liverpool, that was the one I put five on. I put five on Liverpool. It was 1-1, as we know. And you put four, and uh, no, sorry, you put five on. I put four nil. Jeez. Both wrong. If, I, I, I need to start putting money on these results because in the Arsenal-Burnley game, you put nil nil. I put one nil Burnley. And it was. Damn. That's 8-2 eight, eight to me. Yeah, I ain't and, coming back from this one. Uh, no, you're not. And then uh, Leicester, Brighton, uh, I put 2-1 and you put 1-0. And obviously we know it was 3-0, so it's 9-3 to me, which means as of now, uh, the scoreline for head-to-heads is 11 to me, 3 to Ian. It's all still to play for, Ian. You won one back. Stop pandering. I need a breakthrough. I need... You I had need one. You had one. You got it. Okay, I'm, I'm on my win. Well, it's the way that you've now framed this. It feels like I'm not on a win. No, it's because I'm it after this podcast, I'm lining up my political journey. You know, I, I'm already spin-doctoring, mate. It's, it's the only way to go. The mentality of this man. Jeez. I've got to do it. I'm sorry. I've got to be a savage. Right, we've got to do predictions for this game week. And let me just check. There's no... <laughs> sure, actually, we should do it for Boxing Day as well. So, viewers, we're going to have to do two. Listeners, we're going to have to do two. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll do a recap compressed because the, the games come thick and fast in the winter break. Yeah. It's a joke, so we just we have to make do and limp on. I was thinking there was going to be thirty eight episodes of this. Now I think probably with double game weeks and stuff, probably about thirty four, thirty five. Yeah, but we got a bonus episode up top when the league hadn't started, so we're doing okay. That is very true. So I will go first, Ian. First game of the week is Crystal Palace versus Liverpool. What are you saying? Oh, what am I saying? <laughs> Just cap- I'm an idiot. I'm a moron. I'm gonna go two-one Palace. I'm feeling. I'm feeling free. Oh, he is feeling very. You busy. never know with Crystal Palace. You never know. No, I'm gonna take the reverse. I'm gonna go two-one Liverpool. Yeah, that's probably more accurate. You see, Ian's trying to get back in, so he's turning into like one of them sweaty boys on COD. Oh, I am sweating like <laughs> mad right now. Okay, so next game, Ian, is Southampton versus Manchester City. What are you going for? Uh, well, I'm going to dolphin dive this one and go 2-0 Southampton. Yeah, well, I don't think you're wrong. I think I think Southampton going to win. I'm going to go 3-1 Southampton. Ooh. I think, see, you're in the mud. Then the next game, great game, Everton-Arsenal. Looking forward to that one. I still slap up. I'm going to go 2-2. I think Arsenal are going to start to find a little bit of a resurgence, not a huge amount, not enough to win, but I think they're going to start staying in games a little bit more. Yeah, I'm going to go 1-0 Everton. 1-0 Everton, I could see that. Okay, the next game is Newcastle-Fulham. Hard, hard now. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go Fulham. Uh, no, you go first, sorry, on this one, come on. Oh, see, I was going to back Fulham, but you're backing Fulham. I'm going to go 2-1 Fulham. 2-1 Fulham. I'm going to go 1-0 Fulham. The next game is Brighton-Sheffield United. Is this the one that Sheffield win with Brighton and their bad luck? There's a win. There's a win coming. I think it's a draw. Yeah. Personally, I'm going to go one-one. Uh, I took mine. 
Oh. Let's go 2-1 Brighton. I know I keep saying 2-1. I'll mix it up in a second. Oh, no, it's all right, mate. You've got to go for accuracy. You want to get back into things. Now, Spurs versus Leicester. Ian, I can't save you this week. You've got to predict first. Oh, uh, 3-1 Spurs. Yeah, I was going to go 3-0 Spurs, so I would agree with that assessment. 3-0, so that will make it... That's yours, that's mine. Perfection. Manchester United leads. I really don't know with this match. I hey, really, this, really this is, don't know. This is just attack versus attack, isn't it? It's ice and fire. There's no defence in either team and just going all out for goal. And it's a derby, so it's it's tough. I think that if we had a solid defence, easily we win this game, easily. Yeah. But because we don't, it's all to play for. But I'll go for my classic 3-1 United scoreline. I'm going to do a 2-2. 2-2, yeah, I could very much see that. I can see us losing, to be honest. Right, next game is West Brom, Aston Villa. Interesting one. 1-0 Villa. We know they oh, we, we didn't speak about it, but Billich has been sacked, so they might be a bad team to play right now. Yeah, true. So you're going 1-0 Villa, yeah? Yeah. All right, okay. And then I will go 3-1 uh, Villa. I just think Villa are too good for them. And if Villa can start being a little bit more clinical, there's goals there well, for sure. That's all I'm saying is how well are they going to convert? I just don't believe they're going to convert that much. Jackie Grealish can't do it all, boys. Right. Burnley Wolves. Big one. Um, ooh, I'm going to go 2-0 Wolves. 2-0 Wolves. That Daniel Podence looks good, doesn't he? Fucking yeah. Well I'm going to go 1-0 Wolves. Probably be 1-0 Burnley, no one asks. A derby. Chelsea versus West Ham. Yeah, go on. You're up first. What you got? Mm, I'm going to go 3-2 West Ham. Wow, okay. I'm going to go 1-0 West Ham. Right, so that means Chelsea's definitely winning, listeners, if yeah. you hear that. Because we both back West Ham, and you know we've now become we've now come to expect it from West Ham, but in reality they're probably going to flop. Indeed, as long as we get a Halia special, I don't mind. Oh yeah, of course. Now Boxing Day, I put Boxing Day at the top here because we have to view oh, wow. them as separate game weeks. You're kicking the week off. You're kicking the day off. Leicester versus Manchester United. This could ruin my Boxing Day. I'm not lying oh, to yeah. you. Oh yeah. It could. Usually we get like a Burnley or a Newcastle. Yeah. Or an easy team, but with Leicester, you never know. Like, I'm going. I'm there. Are, I'm going three-one United. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Because I know three-one is always a safer scoreline for me because United will always concede because we're terrible defensively, but we're potent in the attack. Yeah, oh, I don't know what to do here. Um, Leicester probably beat us, mate. Yeah, two-one Leicester. Yes, you unbacked us, you hero. That means we've definitely won. Aston Villa versus. Christelle Paralise. I mean, quick special shout out to this. It's airing on BBC. So love to see that. You do love to see that. Get some free footy in you. On okay, you go one. first, Ian. Ooh, I'm going to go. Oh, this is a tough one. 3 1 Villa. Really? I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't think it's going to happen either. 2 2. I don't know. Fulham, Southampton. Tough now because uh, Fulham have started to find some form. Yeah. 
I'll go first on this one. Yeah. 3-1 Southampton. Ooh. I'm going to go 2-0 Southampton. I could see it. They're third. Southampton are third. We've got to yeah. put respect on their name, you know. Sitting happily there. Right. Arsenal versus Chelsea at the Emirates. Arsenal have lost the last four games on the trot. I just think it's going to be boring. And with that in mind, I'm going 1-0 Chelsea. Really? Yeah. I think Arsenal are going to win. I think this is their time. I'm going 2-1. 2-1 Arsenal. I just got a feeling that their form will turn. Everyone's form does turn eventually. If I don't know. I feel like they had their little bit of form at the beginning of the season. I still think they got some punishment to come their way. You hope so, you mean. You'd love it. You'd love it if in the new year they're still in 15. Absolute scenes yeah, for Tottenham fans. What a great way to end 2021. Okay, Man City, Newcastle. 2-0 Man City. 1-0 uh, Man City. Newcastle look uninspired, and so did Man City, frankly, but they've still got the quality, I think, to win there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Sheffield United, Everton. <sighs> Sheffield just got a terrible run of games. My God. I'll 2-0 Everton. 2-0 Everton, yeah, I expect. The win will come. I will say that, though. The win it will, will come. come for Sheffield. They will get one. 3-0 Everton. Probably be this game. No, no. Little Christmas magic, little Christmas miracle, you know, get yeah. get um, get Sheffield back in the equation. Uh, Leeds versus Burnley. The most attacking unit in the Premier League versus the most defensive unit in the Premier League. Wow. 1-1. Uh, 1-1. One, one. I'm going to go 3-1 Leeds. 3-1 Leeds. Yeah, I could see that as well. The, th- the thing is with Burnley, if you can get the first goal, they sort of capitulate, don't they? For sure. And Burnley aren't one to score a lot of goals. They'll take one and leave it. Agreed with that. West Ham, Brighton. Ooh. 1-0, Brian. You reckon? Yeah, because West Ham should win that game, so they'll lose it. Uh, flip it on its head. I'll go 1-0, West Ham. All right. Then we've got Liverpool, West Brom. This is going to be, this at Anfield, this is going to be an absolute slaughter. I'm, no, 2-0, Liverpool. 2-0, Liverpool. I'm going 4-0 Liverpool. It's where West Brom win it. Just shake up everything. I would love it. I'd love yeah, that. It'd be great. It'd be chaos. It will be a team like that that ends their record, by the way. It won't be a top club. No, for sure. It'll be Sheffield United. Oh, yeah. It'll be, yeah. That, I, wouldn't, I would not be shook. I would not be shook by that at all. I'd expect it. Now, Ian, Boxing Day is an interesting day for you as well because you're playing Wolves. Tough game. Oh, day after Boxing Day. Oh, sorry. 27th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were... But essentially, that is your Christmas game. Yeah, that's our Christmas game for sure. Uh, let's hope it's a present. Let's hope it's a good gift. Ain't uh, I think it's, I think so, it's a, a lump of coal. 1-0 uh, Spurs. 1-0 Spurs. Oof. Scrape 2-1 uh, Spurs. I'll back you. Okay. We like that. We like that. Right. When you do a lot of those in, the row, in a row, it's not as enjoyable as when you just do one weekend. <laughs> I was like... Uh... But it's trickier because you're not factoring in that week that's just been. You're like, exactly. Oh, you don't know their form. You're sort of yeah. assuming form, which is the worst, you know, the, the worst thing to do. Let's keep ourselves safe. And then we've got midweek games the following week as well. And then, oh God, we're going to have to start doing like compressed, a couple of compressed episodes where we wait for two game weeks and stuff now because 
it's just becoming. Yeah. I, I feel sorry for the players. I look at those pictures and think, oh my you god. Know, you know what we need? We need five subs. We, we, five we subs. need five subs in the podcast. Someone else hops yeah. into the hot seat. They take over for a week, and then I come back. Yeah, we need a bench of five people deep, and we'll be fine. It's all good. Well, I think in the new year, we're, we're hopefully thinking about asking some other people on to talk about uh, yeah. know, their specific fandoms and uh, and other results and and expectations. Yeah, diversify it. You know, so you know, this has been essentially listeners our trial period, finding our footing in what we want to do in the podcast and how we want to move going forward. So, just so you know, there's a little tidbit. There are some ideas in the pipeline, and um, maybe the brace showcase will disappear for a while. We don't know. One week will come where there will not be a brace scored, but for the first 13 weeks, we've had them. Anyway, thank you for listening this long. We've uh, again done our best to try down but i don't think we have but there was a lot to talk about and it was a very good couple of game weeks especially for me because uh, i can oh, you don't need to keep hammering that point in it was a good game week for you get over it <laughs> oh well hang on i remember when you beat us six when you came in you're like <laughs> we beat you six one what else am i gonna do here's something here's one. yeah well here's a, here's a perspective for you you beat a six one we will go ahead of you if we win our game in hand all right yeah <laughs> So have that. Swivel on that, bitch. Anyway, thank you for listening to the podcast this week. You guys are the best. We appreciate you. Much love. And until next time, peace. Peace. Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas.